At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tuesday night edition of the pod. My favorite game of the year improbably happened tonight. We will tell you all about that one. Also going to get into OKC with a recurrence of their difficulties against Portland. Also touch on Dallas and Orlando a little bit because we do cover the entire league. It is incumbent upon us to do so. And we have plenty of news to get to as well on this fine Tuesday evening. How are you doing, Mr. LaRue? I'm doing well. It's always a perilous thing with the the kind of low game nights of whether it's going to be good or not. But these were fun. I mean, even I don't think we're going to talk about it much, but that Lakers-Kings game was just a bunch of sloppy nonsense but at least it was vaguely fun sloppy nonsense yeah i I went to the gym during that game so i did not watch it uh because uh, i knew that nothing could top uh, this game between miami and toronto miami won it 90 to 89 and with kyle lowry not playing with uh, miami injured as all hell you wouldn't have thought that this would be such an interesting game but it really started late in the third and then starting in the fourth quarter I just loved the overall energy and intensity. A lot of times, young players in the NBA means bad basketball. But in this game, young players on good teams with good coaching and good systems, playing hard, meant just fantastic basketball. And that doesn't mean that there weren't mistakes. There were plenty of mistakes, to be sure. But they were largely forced by pressure from the other team. And just the athleticism and intensity of this game, not to mention the drama down the end, but it just jumped off the screen at me. And I thought the number one guy who really typified that uh, was the the uh, effort of Bam Adebayo tonight. Yeah, I mean, Bam was huge. I mean, he so he had a game where he didn't start, but he played well and ended up playing 33 minutes in a regulation game, which was actually not the most minutes for a Heat guy who came off the bench because Wayne Ellington played 35. But Bam was active defensively. I thought he also was, was very active offensively. And what struck me in the early part of this game, and I feel like is a good kind of lens with which to view it is Toronto came into this game on the tail end of a back-to-back despite being the home team so they had a rest disadvantage without Kyle Lowry and I was watching the beginning when Miami started building a lead going oh man I I can't think of maybe other than the Warriors just because they're they're really good a team that would be worse to play with those specific constraints than Miami because they pressure you so much and they they just execute and they have a lot of guys they can just lock down even without Taylor Johnson in this game and that was still largely 
absolutely true was just that the later on the Raptors just matched iron with iron and basically capitalized on similar similar things through effort and execution themselves hey getting back to Bam best game of his young career was 16 points 15 rebounds five on the offensive glass five block shots many of the spectacular variety and the Heat only played eight guys as you mentioned Tyler Johnson was out with a left shoulder injury that would be something to monitor since he of course has had shoulder issues in the past and you know they've got a ton of other walking wounded justice winslow is out james johnson has been back for a couple games and that sprained ankle but then he and serge Ibaka got thrown out in the third quarter which was uh pretty remarkable they just got engaged at the elbow Ibaka gave him a shove and james johnson just threw a punch at him and Ibaka threw one back this is Ibaka's second ejection in the last two years for throwing a punch you imagine uh you recall he got engaged with robin lopez last year but johnson really looked to be the aggressor it was a pretty mild shove from ibaka as they were just kind of jostling for position away from the play at the left elbow and uh, james johnson of course i forget exactly what ridiculous uh martial art certification he has but not a guy you would want to mess with the people broke it up pretty quickly but of course they were both ejected and so that then meant that the Heat basically had to play two centers on the floor at all times. They had some lineups with Whiteside and Adebayo together. Adebayo is, I mean, if he's played even 10 minutes at the four before today, that wasn't garbage time, I'd be shocked. Uh, and he still looked great out there. It was remarkable. Yeah, it, it was. I'll give the little background on Jim Johnson just because people ask about this kind of a lot. He's a second-degree black belt. Like, basically, his whole family has them, and he's been fighting MMA since he was 18. Like, this is a guy who, if it, if it came to throw down, there, this conversation happens all the time like he would be on the short list of guys that you would not want in that situation and Serge Ibaka was not intimidated for one second no uh I mean and again it's easy to be a tough guy out oh of yeah an NBA court I mean now like actual punches were thrown here so it wasn't quite the usual but not like, big tough guy stuff yeah uh, and you know probably better for James that his punch didn't land frankly I and mean, this is one of those ones where it's more about the result than uh, the intent um and, and so this game I mean very ugly basketball just if you look at the box score at the heat were four out of 22 from downtown Raptors were seven out of 21 both teams well under 50% true shooting in this one barely got to the foul line at all either but the heat did get 20 offensive rebounds in this game Whiteside had six and bam had five but even their guards were getting on the offensive glass as well and so the other thing that was so interesting about it i mean i i liked seeing these coaches and these teams have to try something new right with lowry being out uh ibaka was then out as well and so what Dwayne Casey did as Toronto started the fourth down by eight he started late in the third especially when Goran Dragic was out of the game they actually started doing like a real like full court press and this was with DeRozan out of the game obviously because DeRozan uh will not be executing that level of effort on defense and since he had to put up 29 shots in this one uh, not a surprise Miami really caused him problems Josh Richardson did a great job on him until the very end but they actually did like a real full court press they were denying guys Josh Richardson was forced 
into five turnovers and could have actually had a, a few more on the, on the way to his own miserable three out of 13 shooting night but they were doing like a run and jump which you probably never heard us discuss that before in the nba because it's really more of like a high school or a college thing but basically what it is is a press where you pressure the ball and then when the guy kind of turns his back a little bit you bring over a second defender and they got a couple of near steals and deflections off of that and the guys like van fleet and norm powell who is exhumed in this game they had baby noguera in as well during this period because pertle had not been good in the first half so they went with noguera he had four blocks as well um pascal siakam got time in that fourth quarter and they just had so much oh and even uh another guy really impressed me was lorenzo brown who i didn't even recognize him he looked so cut up compared to like the last time i had seen him in the nba and he was getting into the ball and caused major problems for goran dragic when he came back into the game just the level of intensity on the perimeter uh, by the raptors as they got back into it, it was astounding a couple of things on that one is generally speaking the reason presses don't work against nba teams is just because they have enough capable ball handlers that you're conceding an advantage but miami especially when goran dragic was out of the game that's not true for them like they just didn't have that many guys richardson a wonderful defensive player and has been getting better as an offensive player just doesn't have that all the way yet and they didn't really have many other options especially with tyler johnson out and i i was thinking back during especially the late third quarter i don't know why i thought of it then to a conversation i had with kent Bazemore back when he was on the warriors i asked him just at media day one time we we're just we we're just talking and i asked him do you think a full court press could work in the nba and his answer <laughs> was was yes he said he thought it, it could well well uh, that is the the one guy that would probably work against <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah that was i think that was the year he started the year as the warriors not, backup point guard i'm not surprised he said that yeah and so we talked about it a little bit and, and one of the elements that he talked about was just how many guys can handle the ball in the NBA. So it's kind of like, you know, use it in the right circumstances, but everybody on the team needs to be willing to do it just because of the idea of accountability. But I, I was fascinated by it, and I thought that the way Casey used it was very good. And so it gave the game, which already had plenty of edge. I mean, it had edge even in the first half, and then when those guys got tossed, I think it was like four minutes into the third quarter, like it had it had even more. And it was it was just a blast. And so so you saw you saw that, and then I think Toronto started getting back into it. The crowd was, I mean, that, that's a would be a really fun game to go to much like we had a blast watching it and then that's what led to a competitive ending which also led to major decisions by the coaches not only due to the absences that were there but also due to who was playing well because like bam is having this game so spolster sitting there going well well who am i gonna play here at the end of this game yeah and he ended up uh, bringing white side back in despite uh, some frustration with them there was one timeout uh, that uh, coach nick captured where spo stalks out onto the floor after powell makes a reverse layup and is like just gesticulating wildly at Whiteside, like why the hell didn't you jump and and try to protect the rim there because he was just standing you know at the dotted line and never moved uh but you know he still was a good offensive option and Olenek I'm not sure why it was that he went away from Olenek because Olenek has closed a lot of games recently and meanwhile for Toronto's standpoint they had all kinds of lineups they went with Pirtle instead uh once they took out Bebe instead of going back to Valanchunas which I agreed with although Pirtle hadn't really played much then they went to kind of an all switch lineup they had Siakam out there with Ananubi Daylon Wright they brought him back in Powell was out there and they brought back DeRozan as well for the end then they brought in Valanchunas for one possession which we'll talk about towards the end meanwhile Miami decided that they were going to go into a 2-3 zone because they had so many bigs out there and Toronto really did not have much shooting without Lowry and when 
they went away from cj miles toronto really wasn't able to hit many threes but they were able to score a little bit on that and they went back to the man-to-man uh just so much that i enjoyed about this game Drogic was dominant in the, in the third quarter and then just got totally taken out of it, as i mentioned by lorenzo brown in the fourth and another thing i want to talk about too is that uh, og ananubi a guy who has gotten a lot of love in this space couple of problems that have emerged for him uh, number one just has not been able to create any kind of shots to the point i mean he's taking like three shots a game in 20 minutes you know which is just comically low usage he's just and you'd hope maybe just with some more effort or getting out in transition or something he'd create a few more shots but he's mostly just standing around the three-point line and if it's not a corner three he basically can't take the shot at this point he had two points on one of three in 26 minutes in this one and then the other issue with him is that his communication on defense and his execution really really is not very good uh and that cost them a couple of times late um although he is you know an excellent one-on-one defender in a straight-up iso um he really was not able to communicate on switches well enough and that led to some major breakdowns in crunch time for toronto and that you know the the idea of a switch and then a miscommunication a lot of it was also in driving lanes Dragic was was good at this especially once lorenzo brown was out of the game and they also both teams at certain moments you know though that just created fissures that they could never really patch and so sometimes the guy missed the shot or they got a contest in there but generally speaking for both teams that was how points were scored when they were scored at the end of this game yeah bam uh, by the way i mean just to talk about him a little bit more he was just such a monster defensively in this one and we we know what he can do in isolation he had a couple of nice plays norman powell looked like he was really pressing offensively after he'd kind of been out of the rotation he ended up two out of eight and bam blocked a couple of his shots uh and then he had another play where he came out of nowhere to block a layup i can't remember who that was in the fourth quarter he went right through Pirtle uh for a great lefty layup he just caught the ball on the baseline didn't appear to have an advantage and just you know overpowered Pirtle and laid it in with the left hand uh hit a, a had a nice iso drive from the right elbow as well uh blowing past i think it was valentunas in the third quarter it really just outstanding stuff from him he had a baseline jumper which you know that's been an underrated uh, part of his game uh you know just one of those kind of tough baseline jumpers that's about 12 feet and it's close enough where you're like oh can i do my full shooting motion do i shoot a floater or whatever he just shot it perfectly with confidence swished it right in um so <laughs> the improbability continued as and we can pick it up here with 320 remain that's when they brought in Ananubi uh at center basically for proto whether you want to say he or siakam was the center and toronto had come back on the strength of forcing all all those turnovers and actually this is right before Ananubi came back in uh Norman Powell drove down the lane and completely atypically threw this incredible hook pass to Dalen Wright in the corner late clock and Wright banged the three and Wright it was four out of five against the Bulls the other day but generally not a great three-point shooter Powell uh that's probably the first time in his entire career he's passed the ball on a drive and he throws this beautiful pass uh, along the baseline it was just it was that kind of game it was and then Josh Richardson was just I, I thought I thought it was just a a little bit of a lazy pass that he got that that Powell ended up stealing but they actually didn't score in transition on it and I believe that was actually Miami's last turnover of the game if memory serves yeah they did uh they did not score Dragic got in the lane it looked like he had a, an easy layup Bam got the rebound Anunoby blocked him and then DeRozan made a layup as Kelly Olenek goaltended him uh DeRozan had another drive down the lane to put the heat up or, or to put the Raptors up by one which had been their first lead for quite some time 
86-87. Dragic took this. Oh, I want to talk about this play. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, Dra- Dra- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So Dragic got DeLon Wright on his on his back hip and just kind of kept him there. Shot this kind of, it was, it was kind of an awkward runner. I, he had position, but I just didn't think he had the shot. But nobody got between him and the ball. I think it was one of those, when you miss it, you know where it's going to yeah. go. It was so from just, the free throw line. I mean, it was yeah. a weird shot that you don't see usually weird. offensive rebounded. And then, so then he goes for it and he pushes it for a layup, but then Siakam is there and Siakam blocks that shot. And that ends up being kind of a big moment because then they, uh, that was when Dragic, I, 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 from what I recall, it was more of a Euro foul than a foul trying to get the rebound. It was kind of nebulous. No, no, it was, it, no, he was not trying to follow. He was going for the rebound. Oh, he was going DeRozan, for the rebound. Okay. DeRozan got the rebound and then just kind of like let himself get like lightly pushed out of bounds. Like they had to call a, a foul on it. Okay. That's, that's when they brought in Whiteside for Linux, which was a, a big surprise. Uh, DeRozan missed a very tough shot uh, over Richardson and bam, who was like, I mean, he was get defensive rebounding was not something that was a forte for his and him in college. That was something that was, uh, he was good on the offensive glass, but not very good on the defensive glass. He was just skying over guys for this defensive rebounds. Uh, that was one of them. And that's when they put in uh, Siak or, uh, Valanchunas for Siakam on a defensive possession, which really didn't make much sense to me at all. I guess because Whiteside was in, they felt like they needed more size and yeah that, that ended up coming in later too yeah so the heat out of a sideline out of bounds they advanced the ball after this timeout and Ananubi and then Valanchunas combined to just let Ellington get a wide open three they just had a white side set a screen for Ellington coming to the ball after he had gotten a screen for one of their other smalls and Ananubi obviously should have switched on to Ellington on that out of bounds that's what he's out there to do he reacts really late to that switch and then he gets screened off by white side and then Valanchunas is not going to get out there on Ellington so Ellington misses the three and then not only does Valanchunas not get out there to contest the three but Whiteside who set the screen beats him to the offensive glass and then they're just lucky that Whiteside missed you know not an easy put back but one that he would think he might normally make Valanchunas did at least manage to contest that but it didn't really make any sense to bring in Valanchunas right then I thought I mean unless they thought they were going to go to a Whiteside post-up which obviously would have been foolhardy so and then interestingly the Raptors led by one Dwayne Casey takes one of his two timeouts remember under uh, three minutes you only get two timeouts basically uh and this is another really weird moment norm powell misses a three and i think it was ananobi fighting on the offensive glass pretty nicely and wayne ellington all he could do is just tip it out of bounds so toronto's got it now with 33 seconds left and a fresh shot clock 24 seconds they run an out of bounds play norm powell gets it right under the rim they throw it into him and he tries the layup which he missed and I, you know it was a good shot it was a layup but you know you got out of bio and white side in there you it's it's never going to be that easy of a layup on a play like that and powell rushed it a little bit missed it but i mean they're probably better off just running clock there right probably and it wasn't like if it had been you know a, a quick two a no doubter like like if he been able to dunk it i think that would have been a little bit different but that also it really did give them a lot of life because so instead of running it down so if you say like shoot it with a couple seconds left and then also the time the ball is in the air and everything like that miami could have advanced the ball but i mean they would have basically had one chance and it's not like miami's offense had been gangbusters to that point i mean they had been pretty stifled and so they got a they got a a, a chance there and dragic dragic did get a drive and and got a nice layup 
Yeah, and that play, and also we forgot to mention too, when the Raptors advanced the ball after their timeout, they had to take another timeout on the inbound because That's they right. couldn't get the inbound. That was back with like a minute left before Powell missed the, that three. And on the Dragic drive, they had brought CJ Miles in for Valanciunas and. The Heat had gone no timeout down one. They still had one remaining, but I think they felt like they were saving it. So it was just a step-up ball screen. Wright was guarding Dragic. Adebayo set that screen in transition. Norm Powell, they really just didn't seem to have the matchups quite right because they had all these smalls on the floor. So Norm Powell, who I guess was pretty close to the four with Miles on the floor, should have switched it, and Dragic just blew right by him to his left. And then with no real big man on the floor, there was just no help at the rim, and Dragic was able to finish it with a great extension. He's still you know, one of the best finishers in the NBA. Yeah, you slowed down a little bit, but it's still one of the best. And then the Raptors kind of did that look around, oh shit, and then double oh shit, we don't have a timeout, we better just bring it up. So DeRozan just takes his time and uh down one we're kind of wondering what they were waiting for finally they had had a little success using wayne ellington's man to screen that's what they did here ellington still got beat he wasn't able to contain the ball or really switch it richardson was able to stay with him and then bam was right there great verticality at the room to force DeRozan to miss initially and then DeRozan just was able to get off the ground faster than anyone else to get his own tip in and Miami called timeout with 3.1 remaining. Any thoughts you had on that play? Yeah, Hassan Whiteside. So Hassan Whiteside was behind DeRozan when he took the first shot. And I understand why if he had gone for a block on the first one, he probably, it would have been a foul, I'm guessing. And and Bam was there. Between when DeRozan went up for the shot and when the ball came off the rim, Whiteside basically just stood there. And then when after DeRozan got the rebound, he's like, oh, maybe I should try to do something, got closer and tried to swipe at it. And I mean, he could have just been a little bit more proactive i mean and they knew they had a full timeout so if he hadn't gone for that rebound they weren't sacrificing anything so he was there and then i think something that was true both on to, to kind of set things up on the on the Dragic play was that the help was really late i mean you think about in that circumstance the worst case scenario is to give your you're up one is to give up an open layup because it's a guarantee that you're going to be behind you don't have a timeout and the guys on the back side i think were more worried about giving up an open three than giving it up an open layup and then that came to pass after Miami advanced the ball on the timeout yeah they inbounded from the right side hash mark and I really liked the play design against a switching defense. They had a Linux in the game and bam. It looked like the play was for Ellington to get to the corner. He got a, a screen from Josh Richardson starting on the left block. Then another screen from Kelly Olenek coming off the right elbow to go into the right corner. Ananobi was guarding Adebayo, who didn't really set a screen, but Ananobi, I guess, kind of thought that he did. It looked like Adebayo was going to try to go to set a screen for Richardson to come to the top of the key after that. So Ananobi starts running with Ellington. DeRozan switches onto Olenek, which is the right play. Olenek screened his man, Ellington. And then Siakam switches on to Ellington. All good there, right? So Ananobi, though, just starts running after Ellington as well. So they're basically double teaming Ellington and Bam is wide open on the weak side. So Ananobi realizes after a second that he's double teaming. He and Siakam both do. And they both, as Dragic looks towards the middle of the floor and Richardson starts to come open after that second screen, they both kind of start running towards Josh Richardson thinking they're like, oh man, I must have screwed up this switch. And that was just enough for Ellington now to be open in the corner 
Siakam did well to get out there and it looked like he tried to take their foul to give he stuck his arm out because they had a foul to give with three seconds left Ellington did a great job of pump faking driving past him and then it was an incredible finish at the rim after uh, over Ananobi who after screwing it up recovered back in to contest and Ellington just scored on him uh in an incredible play uh it really was just a remarkable play by Ellington but it was set up by that miscommunication involving Ananobi once again the other part of that play was the guy who was actually closest to contesting or should have been closest to contesting the Ellington shot was DeRozan and DeRozan just I guess you could say made the business decision to walk closer to Kelly Olynyk to box him out instead of actually contesting the shot and that ended up not being relevant because I mean he did that but it was a really amazing just balls to the wall run back to the rim by by Ananobi but it just wasn't enough because uh, uh, Ellington got the nice finish and then so that was with, I think it was like three tenths of a second left. So they didn't really, I mean, with three tenths of a second and no timeouts, it's it's functionally over because, I mean, you, you can't throw it. You could, it, uh, it would be one hell of a play. And the Chuck, I think it would have been ruled too late, but it actually did get kind of close. Yeah, it was an 82-foot shot by DeRozan that actually like hit the heel of the room amazingly. By the way, looking back at the video just now as you were talking, I don't know that I agree that DeRozan could have really gotten there. He was really he was guarding someone so far on the backside, and it was just a straight line drive. I think it would have been tough for him to get there, and he probably did well to get in front of Olenek and box him out. I think that's all he really could have done. I, I know I'm watching it again now, so I've, I have the unfair advantage of seeing it just this moment and reacting to what you're saying. But yeah, it's it was just an awesome game, like so much back and forth and just intensity, and uh, and it wasn't just the like you know because we saw these two teams. I mean, not the same cast of characters, but somewhat similar match up two years ago in the playoffs and while a lot of those games were close we just hated how boring that series was this was just totally different basketball I mean it wasn't just like iso ball throw it to Wade throw it to DeMar uh there's just a lot of excitement and energy and lineups and strategy and I think it's my favorite game of the year so far I loved it it was a lot of fun and this was a night broadly speaking of those kind of interesting games they weren't none of the other ones were nearly as competitive but games where I think you took something away from it well if you'd like to take some money away from these games the best place to do that is on draft it's daily fantasy basketball but it's a different format it's actually a snake draft not a traditional salary cap league and what that means is that all these pros who have no life other than fantasy and put in like 200 lineups a a day they can't do that on draft because it's a snake draft it's unpredictable it doesn't take that long it's only two or three minutes and drafts start every couple of minutes or so so you can join one really whenever you want and so players on draft win more often it's not just you know whatever it is like i saw some stat on on one of the salary cap leagues that just like some small percentage of the people win like the vast majority of the money there it's not that's not the case on draft they also just take care of last minute injuries for you as well uh and drafts start from just one dollar so there's a draft for everyone so download that app anytime just search for draft in your app store you can join a game in minutes or you can play from your computer on draft.com for limited time only all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit but you got to use my promo code capspace is remember that capspace code we talk about all the time on the program play a real money game for free right this minute just use a promo code capspace on your first deposit 
going to get to some news here before we get into the rest of the games of the night yeah we can do that i mean there there is plenty of it to go through we kind of talked about it a little bit in the background but kyle lowry had a they called it an, an acute back spasm in that game against the nets which was also a very fun competitive game and i haven't heard anything more specific than that so hopefully he'll be back soon we don't know exactly zach levine is going to return to the floor saturday against the pistons that's exciting it's i think casey johnson said it's about 18 days something like that earlier than than they anticipated when they made the trade because his acl tear had already happened and then greg popovich so there was the kind of a, a early just crazy fear because the reporting was that Kawhi leonard had a partial tear in his left shoulder but the good news is that uh, it doesn't seem like it's serious he might even play on thursday against the lakers yeah we certainly hope so i mean again the spurs just remarkable with not only the injuries but just how inconsistent and how spread out these injuries have been i mean i think they've had their full team for what maybe like two games all year i mean danny green maybe their third most important player has been missing all this time he's gonna be shut down now for a while with a groin injury sounds like that could be you know a couple week type of thing as well uh Woj had some interesting reporting basically saying that right now the trade market seems rather tepid and part of that I think is because there aren't a lot of, and this is what he's saying as well there aren't that many teams that are just really like all right we gotta give up some picks and go for it here uh and then also just nobody that sexy right now who's for sure going to be available and we've talked about guys like DeAndre Jordan and Woj saying hey you know what he might be traded but they kind of ah you know we might want to keep his bird rights and resign him we don't know you know maybe they can get him for a reasonable price and they're always kind of very much focused on competing to whatever extent they can right now but you know it might make sense to to move on from him Uh, also it's going to be a tight market and a tight center market so they might keep him around lou williams uh, woad saying you know probably not a guy who could get a first round pick maybe if it's a bad first round pick uh and the clippers are still like kind of in it uh, enough to maybe maybe make the playoffs and he also noted that jordan clarkson julius randall and larry nance uh, are eminently available and he also said that la has given up hope on unloading luol deng's contract because it would necessitate attaching too many draft assets that's what we talked about i mean it's going to be i mean i think even this summer that might be the case where it could take up to two first round picks and obviously they don't have their pick this season they'll owe him 37 million uh and they've talked about a buyout we've also talked about why exactly that doesn't make sense for dang because he's not going to be a hot enough commodity to recoup any of that money and then there's also just no way to get that money off the lakers books unless they were to wave and stretch it probably the most interesting thing in this article though was Woj saying the lakers could inevitably use the wave and stretch provision on him to clear space uh and that the only way that that doesn't happen is he's so desperate to leave la that he would forfeit his entire salary in 2019-20 just to go play for the minimum and that that doesn't make any sense so I, I agree with all that it's really a very intractable situation with dang and that maybe if you know they find out for sure hey lebron is there they is going to come then maybe they give up the two first round picks to just move dang and try to build a, around lebron and some of these young guys but i think anything short of that it just doesn't make any sense to give up the assets it would take to get rid of him the other element of this that i uh, i believe this was in Woj's piece that i i think we just need to make a cursory mention of it and move on is that part of the reason the market is is even more tepid is that some of the big potential free agent acquisitions of the past offseason demarcus cousins and paul george it doesn't look like they're going to be moved either 
And so that was one theory of like how this could be fun was if either of those teams really disappointed, oh, maybe they could move on. If there was that, that I mean, people bring up that thunder, that thunder idea all the time. I think it's mostly Cavs fans. That's not going to happen. And with, with Boogie, I mean, they're in the mix. And so that's also a consequence of the earlier trade deadline is I think both of those teams are going to be optimistic. They're going to be in that circumstance. And so they're not going to, to cut bait. So it is a distinctly less sexy market. And there just isn't really a team that's in that perfect situation for any of these guys. And I would include DeMarcus in this to say, well, we better get him now because we don't have that kind of flexibility. It's just not that summer. It's not where a team doesn't have their ducks in a row so much at this point to say, well, if we get him now, then we can lock him up for the summer. Maybe they do that. And now that DeMarcus or now that DeAndre has an agent, it's outside chance being possible, but that requires the Clippers being amenable as well. Woj also noting Tyreek Evans, another guy that Memphis wants to get a first round pick for. And some of these teams, Memphis and the Clippers are, are particularly noteworthy here. You remember the Lou Williams deal last year, right? The construct of that was, okay, we'll give you a first-round pick and a shitty one, as it turned out, for Lou Williams at the very back end of the first round. That was Houston's. And then not only, and Lou, remember, had two years left on his contract, not just one. And then also, I want you to take Corey Brewer and his $7 million salary for next year. And so the combination of Lou having two years left on his deal, plus you're going to take on $7 million in dead money next year, that got the Lakers a first-round pick. Now, I thought that they actually overpaid a little bit to get that first round pick given Brewer's salary uh but as it turned out they weren't really playing the cap space game this summer but Memphis LA like they can't take on any more long-term money like that right like, they can't kind of do anything else to sweeten the deal I mean maybe those teams could say all right you know if you're going to give us the first we'll give you your second or something they could find a way to equalize the value get that first round pick but then you know more is going to be going back uh to the other team either salary l- relief or more likely perhaps someone else on Memphis that they feel can help but you know maybe be branded right or something but there's not really there's not really any other guys on memphis who can also help a, a contending team other than evans that they're willing to move right now who have expiring contracts there also isn't that much desperation in especially the teams at the top like i don't think you see that there's been some speculation about kobe altman in terms of how they're going to handle it. and it sounds like the Cavs aren't going to be willing to use the nets pick the rockets i mean i'm sure maury's going to be talking to people but i don't they don't look desperate to make a move to me and the warriors yeah. aren't either so and i i think that while there are a lot of teams that would love to make the playoffs i don't think anybody's gonna be that frantic for it so it's gonna need to be a move that checks multiple boxes at the same time maybe it alleviates a luxury tax concern for a team like minnesota or something like that you're gonna have to get more than one thing in order to make a move that significant because teams are being more judicious about their draft picks something they should have been before yeah and perhaps and especially teams that are just are not in a position to really compete and even realistically make it to the second round of the playoffs in the case of some of these teams uh the bulls are supposedly still planning to trade nikola miritich now miritich the bulls can pick up can trade him without his consent if they pick up his team option uh that would make him on a two-year deal instead of one and so then they could move him as it stands right now because they could potentially decline his team option they cannot move him if they pick that up and presumably whatever team gets him especially given how well he's played so far this year would want him again for next year at a reasonable number so about 14 million uh, they would want to do that and again Miritich and eh, can you get a first round pick for him yeah if he play, keeps playing the way he has this year but he's not going to continue to shoot quite 
quite this well i would say and we've seen him play not as well when he's been more of a just a support spot up guy uh but maybe uh, again it could be some bad salary going back to the bulls and that's how you get your uh, adequate draft pick compensation in a move like that Miritic still can't be traded until january 15th uh because he signed with full bird rights but that uh date is rapidly approaching all right oh, what one else other we got thing, here one other yeah, thing yeah, i want to mention with this which is true i would say in a deandre trade maybe as many as much as any of these is that there just also aren't that many big expiring contracts around the league right now the 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 cap filler is very very different right now and so you talked about with miritich like for example the pistons have been linked to him the pistons don't have that kind of expiring contract the only guy they have that's making a lot of money that's expiring is avery bradley and of course he's not seen that way so it's a very different thing to move let's say john lure in a deal like that than it is to move an expiring contract and so a lot of the grease like amino hassan's talked about that before with protected picks that other kind of grease just doesn't exist much this year yeah i mean and i don't know that i would take on john lure's contract for just a first round pick not to mention also giving up miritich in the deal as well um austin rivers suffering from achilles soreness he will be reevaluated in two weeks Blake Griffin suffering a concussion last week uh, from an inadvertent elbow from JaVale McGee. He's not expected to play against the Warriors. And then the Clippers also with uh, some moves to, for the time being, alleviate their dilemma with their two-way guys, although not in a way that is best for the team on the floor right now. Financial concerns dictating that. Jamil Wilson was either at or damn close to his limit, so they waived him. Yeah, his 45-day limit. His 45-day limit on a two-way contract. Yeah. And because the Clippers are, I think it's 122000 away from hitting, the heart, from hitting the luxury tax, they didn't want to spend on anything, so their way of not spending on anything was using another two-way contract because that doesn't count. And so they signed Tyrone Wallace, who played meaningful minutes in their win and presumably will again on Wednesday. And Jamil Wilson, there's been some reporting that he might go to the Lakers on a 10-day, something like that, but we'll have we'll have to see. Nothing has been official yet that I've seen. And C.J. Williams, they still have around, and C.J. Williams hit the game-winning shot in that game as well. Yeah, but the, of course, his issue is fast approaching as well. And their issue with Wallace, I mean, they need more help uh, on the guard line, as the Utah Jazz public address announcer used to say when uh, introducing John Stockton. But your problem there is that your amount of NBA service days prorates over the course of the season. So with us about half done with the season, now he's only got 22 or you know 23 or 21 whatever it is days that he can actually play with the team so hopefully they'll get some guys back but for wallace i mean he's going to get an nba salary during this period but you know i mean you keep getting diminishing returns if you try to do this crazy cycling through two-way guys because the beauty of the two-way guy of course is that they are don't cost anything against the cap or the tax but i mean how hilarious would it be danny if it's like they get down to like the end of the season there's a like a week left but like guys have run out so then they have to like sign a guy uh, to another two-way contract and have him play but then like he only has one day of service and they have to sign another guy like they have to like keep signing a new guy every game like i mean we could see i mean i don't think it'll get that ridiculous but it's gonna be quite the dance for them unless they can get a little healthier in the backcourt and well one also, thing actually there yeah, there is because this is new and it's a little bit weird they can't do the diminishing returns thing because january 15th is actually the last day you can sign a guy to a two-way contract oh i forgot that thank you for reminding me yeah so Oh, uh, that's too bad. That I know that would have been so much fun to do like one guy and they're just chipping, chipping through different, different players just to go through that. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a 
real challenge then. So, I mean, if I were them, I would wave Wallace and go for another guy to just maximize at that proration point as long as you can. That's what yeah. I would be doing. Well, they, the long they liked they liked what Wallace was giving them, and he's from their D-League system, so I think they'd like to be able to keep it. And then uh, Milos Teodosic suffering a plantar fascia injury in that Tour NBA show game that we did against OKC. So who knows how long he's going to be out now. Latest indications are that he is hopeful he can return tomorrow against the Warriors or against the Kings on Thursday. But, I mean, it definitely seems like something that is continuing to bother him. And it's one of, like, the plantar fascia, if you don't, this is one of those times where it's almost better to have the complete tear sometimes because then it actually will heal as opposed to just continuing to be inflamed. It seems like that's kind of what he's going through and he's trying to get treatment. But, you know, it's the type of thing that could recur for him at any time. Um, what else we got here? Well, we can do a little more transactional action. So the the Rockets ended Demetrius Jackson's two-way contract. He's signing a 10-day and going to play for them in the G League showcase. They cut Bobby Brown. I think we talked about that. And But they do intend to re-sign him later so that he can play in the playoffs. But he might play in China in the interim, which is interesting. That's kind of a new a new avenue for this of like the temporary China China trip. Then Lig- DeAndre Liggins, who was cut by the Bucks, we talked about that in the 15 and 60 on, I think that was Sunday nights, that he signed a 10-day with the New Orleans Pelicans. They need wings in the worst way. I would say they need shooting wings in the worst way, but beggars can't always be choosers. Yeah, yeah the, those, those aren't really available on a 10-day contract, unfortunately. Right. So, so I mean, good to, good to get somebody in there, and they're dealing eventually with, you know, the luxury tax as well, but they have a lot more wiggle room. I think they have a couple million more, so that's a lot more than the Clippers are dealing with, so they can do things like that. And then, since the Lakers were not in the 15 and 60, we didn't get to mention that they cut Andrew Bogut, which was framed in the way of him getting a chance to pull, sign with the playoff team, but is more about just not having him on a guaranteed contract because he wasn't really a part of their plan. Yeah, and uh, I would say the chances of him signing with a playoff team that actually believes that they can use him are uh, quite low at this point. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get to a little more basketball here. So the biggest game of the rest of the night, and I would say the biggest game on paper the whole night, was Portland OKC. The Blazers were without Damian Lillard. The Thunder were without Andre Robertson, and both of those things ended up mattering. But Shabazz Napier, Shabazz Napier, had a nice game, 21 points, got to the free throw line 10 times, and was able to create open shots. And I thought what was kind of the definitive stretch of this game was in the middle of the third quarter. The Thunder missed a couple of shots, and Al Farouk Aminu hit a couple threes, and Napier hit a pull up two. I think CJ McCollum hit one as well. And so the lead went from, I think it was two points to 12. And while OKC narrowed it a little bit, I don't think they ever got back in the lead and that margin ended up being important. Yeah, you mentioned Napier. He's actually averaging over 18 points a game as a starter, generally occurring with either McCollum or Lillard out. And McCollum was also outstanding in this one with 27 points. And really with no Damian Lillard to give up a, a buck 17, a 120 offensive rating to this Blazers offense that is really bad with Lillard in the lap in the Thunder defense has really fallen apart since Robertson has been out now they had overcome that with some great offensive performances recently so it hadn't been as much of an issue but in this one they just couldn't make a two-pointer and that's really that's the way that Portland wants to play they forced them into a lot of mid-range looks 
and Yusuf Nurkic was excellent taking up space uh, Zach Collins they brought him in as well they're playing him with that Davis Davis and Collins together both two great offense rebounders is a very interesting look against OKC who doesn't play a traditional center on their second unit but they also don't have a ton of shooting on their second unit either so they're able to get away with going bigger against those guys and then that OKC second unit has really struggled on the defensive glass and Portland was able to take advantage of that uh, I thought what was most telling about that third quarter was just that the defense from Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook was a big reason why Portland was able to surge out to that lead in addition to some hot shooting you mean him Mello kind of half a quarter defending two different guys on a possession like on those Aminu threes where he kind of flashed the slowest flash possible onto the other guy and then never got out to Aminu yeah no that that was exactly right there's a couple of those and then you know Westbrook had a play where like yeah and like Mello and Westbrook are basically like you'll get like 0.5 maybe you'll get one effort from them defensively per possession and once they've done that and if the guy just you know does a crossover after russ or Mello makes the initial move to try to keep up with them then they're just beat or if they help out a little bit and then they throw it to someone else there's going to be no multiple effort like rotation onto another guy from those guys i mean like russell westbrook just got beaten off the dribble by evan turner and like evan turner is you know has some decent ball handling skills but he doesn't beat guys in a straight line like he kind of works in a position goes for like a fadeaway in the lane and like russ just kind of already slid with him once and then turner just stopped and crossed over and russ just like kept jogging (laughs) the way that turner had been going like made no effort to change direction and stay in front of him another time he was guarding the screener and a transition screen cj just like blew right by him. He just made again made no effort to sit down get into a stance and that's how i mean there was just portland has been struggling from the outside they were 10 out of 23 on threes that helped a, a little bit to shoot that type of percentage uh and to get shots from guys like turner but you know aminu has actually been shooting the ball in the mid 40s for from three this year and uh mccollum and, and napier are, are capable turner hit a couple but it really was just about giving up 54 percent overall shooting uh, to this blazers team that again you know should struggle to score on most nights and also portland deserves a lot of credit this has been a part of their their defense the whole year is I thought they did a wonderful job contesting shots at the rim you know and that really in that third quarter run the only thing OKC was getting was when Russell Westbrook ran in transition there was I think once off a pick and roll he got a nice drive but even those shots some of them went in were there was somebody there and it was somebody there with a little bit of oomph and so I, I really like that with them and they I, they've been pretty good at a, they've been very good at opponents shooting percentage at the rim I still think that there's a little bit of it's it's rosier than it should be but the fundamentals on it, i mean when you when you watch them them play teams aren't getting as many clean looks there and so that's part of the reason why fewer of them go in yeah and okc only 52 percent shooting at the rim that was a, a big part of why because they shot it pretty well from three and then they just had to take quite a few mid-rangers as well and meanwhile portland again i mean the okc's defense wasn't like they had some bad possessions and there's some weak links but portland was just on fire i mean they made uh they made 55 percent of their mid-rangers in this game so that's and that's floater zone and you know long twos so and then they shot it well on three so part of it was just shots going in you know i mean the okc's defense wasn't that that bad but we also just saw that like those guys are weaklings and then also josh husis a guy who's purported to be this defensive star i think he can be better against some larger players but he really is almost more of like a combo forward defensive
defensively like we've seen him get cooked by smaller guards like he did not really have much of a shot against Lou Williams the other night when we did the true NBA show and CJ cooked him as well I thought um so so that was an issue so then they decided to try and put Paul George on CJ and then Evan Turner was able to get into the post against Terrence Ferguson who's been starting a little bit but didn't do anything in this game only took two shots in 27 minutes um and they had to double team on Turner they got a couple of threes that way so it really did not look good Stephen Adams didn't have his usual impact defensively either and you know Portland going into OKC on the road got a really big win for them and they certainly were not favored to win this game and every win counts it went at the bottom of that West playoff picture. Yeah, I mean, it could end up looming large. I mean, now Portland, so they're four games over 500. They're 22 and 18. Utah, who certainly has the potential, and if they get Rudy Gobert back, they're eight games under. So it would be a pretty big swing. You probably need need Portland to come back to earth and Utah to move up for that to happen. Or, I mean, of course, the Pelicans could just get one guy hurt. But we're seeing some preliminary separation in the West. It's not permanent. We're only halfway through the season. But wins like this for Portland can help make that a little bit stronger. Yeah, we'll see the jazz have uh, one of the easier schedules right. after that yeah i, I fully believe that the that jazz will, will do much better in the in the next little while than they've done so far i i'm, I'm not writing them off by any stretch of the imagination a couple other notes in this one part of, of it for okc can just be boiled down to well do westbrook george and anthony shoot well or not and in this one none of them shot 50 percent uh westbrook was the only one who really got to the line uh but he still was pretty inefficient overall for his 22 points he was only seven out of 20 from the field um and then they got absolutely nothing from anyone uh other than steven adams and ray felton alex abrinas was back he got stuck on a cj a couple of times couldn't guard him although uh abrinas at least hit a, a three gave him a little bit of spacing i thought that pat Connaughton was really key in the second quarter when they had to play without cj it looked like you know that would be a time when the thunder were getting pretty good shots seemed to be outplaying the blazers early in that quarter and Connaughton hit two contested threes and a tough two coming across the lane and then when he was hot I thought he made a really nice play good team ball usually oh I've hit three tough ones in a row he got a switch got a big on him and you thought he was going to jack it up and instead he threw a beautiful entry pass to Ed Davis and Westbrook actually made a nice play coming over and uh forcing a miss from Davis but it was I like to see that from content because also often guys just use that as an excuse to jack up a, a bad shot and Connaughton has played well this year I, we had seen nothing from him in his first couple of years to indicate that he could be a solid player but he played 30 minutes in this one he's provided some much needed shooting for this Blazers team and I also thought in the third quarter the Blazers defense looked pretty good they really snuffed out that hawk set that OKC likes to run which as a reminder Mello setting a back screen for George he comes out the weak side off a double screen while Mello sets a a screen to pick and pop for, for Westbrook and Portland was physical with them they knew exactly what was coming and OKC really was not able to get any of their usual good looks out of that set one other thing i wanted to mention putting a little bit of a finer point on it the thunder had three guys in this game that played double digits minutes and took two or one shot ferguson 30 minutes two attempts patterson 11 minutes one attempt houston's 15 minutes one attempt and those guys had zero free throw attempts between the three of them so in a game that they did not have andre robertson which in another guy who can be an offensive liability you're, you're putting a lot of strain on everybody else i expect patterson and ferguson you know those guys can really take shots and they have in the past but they're going to need their support players to do 
it because they have a legit defense, but that legit defense is going to have some trade-offs. Let's get to Dallas and OKC now. It was a 114-99 win for Dallas. It actually got within four points later, though Dallas led comfortably most of the night. And it was nice to see a throwback game for Dirk Nowitzki, season-high 20 points, season-high 7 of 7 from the foul. And I was actually watching this with my fiance and trying to kind of explain to her like what Dirk used to be and how good he was and you know but just the fact that he like can't even move I mean he can't even like run like he every step if you just look at like the size of like the steps that he takes like he takes his steps are like half the size of like a normal person but she was like amazed that despite the fact that he like couldn't move at all he was just like well you know what like uh she liked the fact that he was able to score without using like any athleticism at all it's pretty remarkable what he's able to do with like his pump fakes and just shooting over guys and uh it's good to see a little bit of a throwback game for Dirk although obviously the mobility wasn't there but the shot making was something else that was really important in this game and is a part of the reason why I think Dallas is going to consistently beat bad teams this year is the turnover margin so Dallas I mentioned this in the last 15 and 60 they've been in the bottom uh, in the top five in terms of fewest turnovers the last I think it's five seasons tonight four turnovers for them 13 for the Magic who had their normal complement of point guards they just turned the ball over a reasonable amount I mean 13 is not terrible but four is insane and so that gave them a little bit of an offensive margin they did get some points in transition but it just ending fewer possessions with nothing allows you to take a lot more shots and so they ended the game with you know with a few more attempts even though they got out out rebounded offensively this is another one of those games where really hot mid-range shooting was huge Dallas uh, on twos outside the restricted area 56 percent in this one and, and the magic did not hit very well uh Dennis Smith continues to have a really high usage rate but avoided the turnovers in this one he had 20 points on eight of 19 so still not very efficient uh but and only three assists as well I mean I did I liked what I saw from him though I mean just watching him and I saw some of the stretches where he was shooting it well I didn't watch as much of the first half because I was watching the heat Raptors but he's so fast that especially on a switch he doesn't have the quickest release but he is starting to hit from long too that's a shot that he's going to need to be able to make because teams are kind of laying off him and a three is kind of a little bit long for him in an iso still and he was terrible on two-point jumpers at ncc so for that to be a part of his repertoire is important i think and also just that he only took five threes out of his 19 shots was good west matthews had a nice game he was able to get into the post against some of the lighter orlando wings and for orlando just another one of these games where man like nobody really stood out uh they brought aaron gordon off the bench for some reason uh i know why he missed the team plane oh yes thank you uh just a a pretty desultory performance from the magic a team that i I hadn't checked in on in a while and you can see why they've lost whatever it is like 24 or 25 out of 29 games now it's a a relatively passionless team um and when you've got guys out there like spates and hazonia uh you're not really gonna win the game on effort necessarily the theory of the team for them like how they're going to throw a follow into that category too yeah of how they're going to win games is basically that they're going to make a bunch of shots but they don't really have that many guys that can make a bunch of shots so that that never really bodes too well and for Orlando I think broadly speaking struggling like this could be a good thing for them just because they need so much more talent but it doesn't make this season any easier to take this is another team where Dallas I thought you make a great point here that Dallas is just you know they're the bad teams Dallas is generally going to beat them I mean J.J. Barre 
Correa, Yogi Ferrell, you know, those are guys who are just going to get taken advantage of defensively eventually. But Orlando doesn't really have the individual talent to do that. I mean, we saw them like switching and like most spates had like one post up that, that actually scored. But Orlando doesn't have the guys where it's like, okay, yeah, go ahead, like beat these guys in the post or take advantage of them and help defense. Interestingly, Farrell was plus 29 and Barea was negative 10 in this game, which was kind of interesting. And then uh, Dirk, despite his hot shooting, he was only even for the game and he in fact did not close the game. They did get within four, as I mentioned. And then Dallas immediately went on a 9-0 run to end the game. Yeah, I think so. I think some Mavericks fans got pissed that I threw out a league pass alert when it got down to four. But I mean, Orlando had made a couple shots and they were getting there and then they immediately rattled off that. And I was like, well, it was double digits before most people probably saw the tweet. Yeah, I th- yeah. But by the time I saw it, it was like, it was nine. I was like, why is he tweeting that? <laughs> it was four. <laughs> it was four and they had momentum. And they, I mean, but they just didn't have enough. And do you want to talk about Kings Lakers? Because I don't particularly. No, nah, no. Nah, I, I, well, I didn't watch any of it. So that's a good reason Ugh. to talk about it. Well, I mean, it was just, it was turnover do, blues. Do you want to get, yeah, here, let's do it. Let's do your, like your 90 second thing uh, on this. Okay. Lots and lots of turnovers, including there were a, a series of times where there were multiple turnovers before a shot went up. So it was like turnover, turnover, turnover shot, like that sort of thing. And these are two young teams that are still figuring it out. Malachi Richardson started, played five minutes and was negative 16, which I thought was pretty amazing. Bogdan Bogdanovich looked like the best creator for a lot of the game for the Kings. Part of that being because the Lakers second unit doesn't really play much defense. And Lonzo Ball became the third player in the league this year to have a rebound assist double-double that was not a triple-double. And uh, some good minutes from Julius Randle. I, I thought I thought he looked more comfortable out there. Brooke Lopez had one stretch where he was insane from three. But overall, this was just sloppy nonsense. Kyle Kuzma has come back to earth a, a little bit recently. And he had the quote that like, oh, you can't, I figured it was something along the lines like, you can't be Superman every game or, or something like that. But this might be the two worst offenses in the NBA, certainly close to it. Uh, so not uh, unexpected that we would see a, a score like this. And the Lakers are actually capable of playing some pretty decent defense as well. Brooke Lopez was back in the starting lineup. This is a decent matchup for him with all the bigs that oh that one Kings more point Brandon Ingram looked really good in the beginning of this game I think he had eight points in like the first three minutes when the Lakers went on a big run and that was a right around when the Kings pulled back at Richardson and never brought him back in and so I think he had eight points in those first three minutes and then he had seven points in the rest of the game like if he could play that aggressively on drives and a one was a, a nice corner three I think it was Lonzo that fed him I if he can do that more often I will be a believer in him he also has to make his jump shots but it's just like you you see those moments but they're just so fleeting most of the time that it's just it just bothers me still yeah and this is one of those games where George Hill didn't play I think for personal reasons in this one but you see why George Hill is complaining because they started Cauley Stein and Zach Randolph Scal has been starting then he was in the G League then he started again then he came off the bench in this one Garrett Temple has been starting instead it was Malachi Richardson and Buddy Heald and Fox starting this one and Richardson as you mentioned was negative 16 and and never came back in after five minutes and temple was plus 10 when he was in there uh so you're just like the kings i realize they're trying to give everyone a chance and you know i'm not even sure that i would do things that differently and maybe they felt like hey we're just going to give richardson a shot here you know he hasn't played in a while but uh or or hasn't played a lot of minutes this year overall but you understand why people are complaining even if you know that's what you do on a rebuilding team is you kind of give everyone a chance and see what's out there also if you're going to do that i think you especially if you're as bad as the kings are shifted a little bit on personnel like play malachi richardson in a game where the other team doesn't have a three guard that just gives a big physical advantage you know like they could it would have been fun to see what 
Garrett Temple yeah, can do so this he, slowdown. Yeah, he was guarding Ingram at the beginning, I take it. I believe he was. They, I don't remember healed on him, but the Kings weren't exactly playing much yeah, defense well, in those first five minutes anyway. Either of those a terrible matchup. So, right. Yeah, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, yeah, so, and, play my, but, but, but Brooke, guy. Brooke Lopez catching fire, I think that was in the second quarter, was very amusing as well. Yeah, he was 5 of 8 on threes. All right, well, that was way longer than 90 seconds on a game that I didn't even watch. Uh, and It was awful. Be happy you didn't watch it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen plenty of Lakers and Kings lately, so I, I didn't feel like I had to tune in. Uh, all right, uh, that will do it uh, for today. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to get into our trade deadline preview series. Also, Twitter NBA show is Thursday, and then we'll also have one on Monday for Warriors at, at Cavaliers. The, that latter game is at 8 Eastern on Martin Luther King Day, and that will do it. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Also, don't forget about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Duncan the Rue, where you can get a, a number of things. Danny, you posted your newest uh, Danny story time, right? I did on individual max contracts, and as soon as my next piece that's relevant goes up, I'll do another one. All right, thanks again to Draft for sponsoring our program today. Fantasy basketball fans, it's not too late to join the highest-rated fantasy football app, Draft. Download the app anytime you search Draft in your app store, join a game in minutes, or play from your computer at Draft.com. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a Draft when you make your first deposit, but you got to use my promo code CAPSPACE. Play a real money game for free using that promo code CAPSPACE on your first deposit. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.